Welcome back to Think Aloud with Dr. G. I'm Dr. Lisa Gorin, and I'm glad you're here so we can think aloud together. Today's episode is a little different in that we are thinking aloud with someone who is an avid listener of this podcast and a lifelong learner, but not an educator by trade. Paul Kleps is a pastor, a nurse, and a parent of a child with disabilities. Our conversation covers a lot of ground and highlights the power of connection with and truly seeing the people in our space. There's a message here of hope, peace, and the power of being present. It seems like the perfect episode to share in this back-to-school time. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. I am super excited to be in this conversation that kind of veers off our normal path on Think Aloud. We're going to think aloud today with Pastor Paul. He is, full disclosure, the pastor at the church I attend, so don't hold that against me if you find this conversation (laughs) to be a little extra interesting. So welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. This is a joy. I'm I'm an avid listener as a non-educator, or at least a not a professional educator myself. I Um, Listen every week. I enjoy. Well, I thank you for that. I do think that you are an educator, whether that's your title or not, because you teach as much as you preach. Yeah, that's true. I put my Bible nerd hat on on occasion. I love it. Okay, so for people who are outside of my immediate circle, let's just get in a little bit about who you are and um, how you came to be in this fabulous place that is Hatton, Missouri. Yeah, so I... um... I grew up in a little bitty town off of 36 Highway uh, that most people stop for gas, but my family stopped there for good. <laughs> and um, I grew up in a small school district, K through 12, was about 300 people. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, that was an interesting environment to where, like, as a senior who had interactions with kindergartners on a daily basis, that was just kind of a neat community-type feel. Sure. Um, in you were all building. in the same building? Right. Okay. Shared the same lunchroom. Like, oh, wow. high-fived in the hallway every day. It was kind of a neat That's kind of really feel. Fun. Yeah. So shout out to the small school districts out there that pull that off. Um, so uh, I, um, interestingly enough, and, and I, I, we can get in more into this later, but um, was my mother was told um, when I was in fifth grade that um, she should probably lower her expectations for me, that I would not make it in college, wow. um, that this probably just wasn't going to work. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God and my mother's, uh, you know, strength, that's just not my story. So I got out of high school, went to nursing school. That was, uh, that was interesting thing being from a rural community, being a a man who decided to go to nursing school. A little unusual in your community. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Definitely at the time that I did it in the early 2000s. Right. And we went to nursing school and um, actually failed out of nursing school once, um, then went back Anderson School to a different program, met my wife there, um, graduated in um, from the associate program at North Central, then got my bachelor's of science in nursing at, from Central Methodist University, and then immediately, like, I did all of that while I was working in healthcare as an ER nurse and all of, you know, in hospital administration and learned to really love that, and then I got this call to go do something different. Mm. And so I graduated with my Bachelor's of Science in Nursing, and the next fall I enroll in seminary. Oh, wow. I have actually been in school continuously since 1992. <laughs> As someone who swore school off. As someone yeah. who was told that they yeah. couldn't make it. Love so it. I now have graduated with my Master's in uh, Divinity from St. Paul School of Theology, and I'm currently getting um, my MBA with an emphasis in nonprofits from Dakota Wesleyan. You know, some people collect things. I collect a little piece of paper on the wall with my name on them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it is what it is. Diplomas and more evidence that school might have been for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I snarkily may have invited that teacher to my master's graduation. <laughs> we all have that story. <laughs> in our past. So. Roll me back a little bit, though, and talk to me about why nursing school. Like, Mm. when you were leaving high school and making that first decision, we have this misconception, I think, when we're younger, that you're supposed to have it all figured out, and you're going to know your life plan, you know what you're going to go to school for, or what you're going to be as a job. So what led you there? So I, um, my mother's a nurse, and I had done some volunteer work around there, and there was a piece of that that was and is still very just instinctual. There was a piece of that that came very natural for me. And there were, there were just, there were elements of it that it was easy for me to learn. I was easy for me to hang on to. And there was a draw. Um, I kind of have, um, I've stepped out of this a little bit as I've 
grown up, but when I was younger, especially, I had a little bit of a superhero complex and the idea of like showing up on somebody's worst day and being peace in the, in the, in the face of that being, being, um, present in the face of that, Uh um, was incredibly impactful. I think that's what drew me to emergency nursing. Plus in emergency nursing, you don't have to be as nice. So, you know, (laughs) like that, that's helpful too, right? Like... Well, so I, I hear you talking about this kind of instinctual piece, the, the part that felt comfortable, familiar, right. like, important to you. And it's that service-minded, right? It's that Definitely. helpful servant kind of a thing that you and I have had these conversations offline about like the parallels between teaching and your current profession. But we've also talked about teaching and nursing, mm-hmm. like they're service-focused. The best training I ever got as a pastor was the time I went to nursing school. Sure. Right. Yeah. I learned a lot about how to like read people from across the room and go, that one's not okay. They're not okay, you know? Right. And it, like, you know, as I look at the world today, and this is going to throw you in a completely different direction, but it's, it's kind of what it's I do. It's your story. Um, we need more people who are walking around looking across the room and saying, that person's not okay right now. Paying attention to right. the others in the space. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this last summer, we went on a, a, a trip with my kids, and we were in the pool, and my second one in, I don't know, I've got four kids, but my second third one in, he, he was having trouble swimming, and I'm trying to manage four kids by myself at the pool. It's amazing we all like got out of there, right? <laughs> and he's flying around, and he's yelling, help me. And there's a gentleman who, I don't know, probably a great guy. But he turns, looks at my kid, and then turns his back to him. Oh, wow. This small child who's flailing. Yeah, your kids are young. They're all elementary or younger. Right. My one, I mean, we're probably talking my my kindergartner. Wow. Turns his back. Turns his back. And that shocks me, but yet we all do that. Mm. Right? We all know that person in our lives that's drowning. We all know that person in our community that's struggling and and drowning. Mm -hmm. And... We just, we don't either have the words at the time or the, the ability to walk over and go, gosh, you sure look like you're having a rough go. Yeah. Is there something I can do? Like, I just want you to re- to just know that, I just want to acknowledge that. that right. Like, sometimes people just need acknowledgement. They're like, hey, it looks like, it looks like life sucks right now. Yeah. And I just want you to, to know that, seen. like, I see that and mm-hmm. that if there's something I can do, like, that I'm a person you can call. Right. Yeah, I'm drawing those parallels. Yes, I agree with you 100%. I'm thinking about, you know, in my role, I teach future teachers. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to impart upon them all the things that I think are important to how to be successful as an educator. But it's really because we're impacting that next generation. We're impacting the growth and development of those students who are going to be the adults in 20 years, right? Like, I think that matters. And so we talk about building community, having a safe space, knowing your kids, establishing a relationship with them. And that's it's that connection. It's you, noticing who needs what when. Right. You can't hand somebody something you don't have. Right. And so you have to first have that built for yourself in order to then be able to hand that to somebody else. And I don't think we've done a great job, the, the big we, the collective we, in yeah. education, in our society, in our community, of making that obvious of teaching that explicitly to our young people in all of our settings. Like we don't do that in school. It's not part of our curriculum, right? If you're not part of a faith-based community, you're not getting it there. If you're not part of a neighborhood, you know, like our students who are served by Hatton, a lot of them live in rural spaces. So they don't really have a next door neighbor or like you don't have these built-in community pieces. So where does that happen? For our kids. And then for us as adults, how do we continue that? Well, for a lot of kids, it happens on the sports field. Ah, that's true. Or in the gymnasium, right? Mm-hmm. So then when they get to be adults and there's no longer an organized sport for you to play in, true. they don't know how to build a friendship outside of there being a ball on the field. Right. That's true. It's why we've seen this increase in like adult recreation leagues. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, we, we don't know how to make friends without there being this objective thing in the middle of us, this reason for us to gather. We can't just get together with people to get together anymore. Right. You know, it, we, we ex- in Hatton, we have a community group that gets together once a month, twice a month, and they have a meal. And the whole purpose is just to get together and have a meal. Right. But they're seeing the younger folks don't attend that as much because right. 
we we struggle with the idea as a as a good millennial. We struggle with the idea of getting together for no purpose, like for there not to be this thing that yeah. we're getting together around. And when you say younger people, you mean thirties and under. Mm-hmm. And I would argue even 40s and right. under. I do. Like, you know, in this community, the, the people who gather for quote-unquote no purpose are our elders. Right. Like our 50s and 60s right. and 70s and 80s. And so it's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. They learned how to do that. And then those of us in our 30s and 40s We never really didn't. did. Right. I, I watch, so um, I, as we've talked, I have a son with special needs and, and he carries around Pokemon cards. And he carries around Pokemon cards, and he's fascinated by Pokemon, but he carries them around, I've noticed, because it's this means of social interaction. It's, I it's can con- basketball. I can connect with this other kid because we're standing here shoulder to shoulder looking at this other thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's right? an object, a point of connection, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And it, it becomes, I mean, I, I mean this in the best possible way, it becomes a tool. Sure. Right? That right. allows him to have social interaction. It's a communication tool. And we are watching an entire generation or two generations of people who only know how to have social interactions that way. Yeah. And we have some who only know how to, how to do that online. They right. cannot do it physically in the same space. They can do it through a chat room or through a game. or. But, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. We are going to go down a few tangents, I can yeah, tell. it's going to happen. For it's it. going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. But Sorry. this is an idea, like this idea of community, this idea mm-hmm. of how we connect with others, right. like that's influenced you in your path. So when we talk about your educational journey, it's not just how did I become a teacher because that's we all are educated. Right. We're all learning and growing. So you chose nursing school because of that, like ability to help that kind of servant mindset, super hate, superhero, if you will. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But you found you weren't really successful there. What was it about that? Was it that space, that work, or that time in your life? So it was really that time in my life. Um, the weird thing is, so I don't know if you saw, but like I physically flinched when you said not successful. Um, yes, I'm a three on the Enneagram. It's a thing. So <laughs> I know I, that you're very success-oriented, which is why I chose that word. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Just play on all my junior high anxiety. So we're... Um, I uh, I was incredibly successful in, in healthcare and was doing great things um, for lots of people, but I found that the better I was at that, the worse I was at being a dad and a husband. Talk to me about that. Tell me more. It was really, really easy to be there because that was an uh, there being work, right? right? Because that was an area that I knew where the boundaries were. I felt confident. I felt fulfilled. I felt I was getting lots of positive feedback. Like they actually, the the most unhealthy sides of me were being reinforced. Right, the more that I worked, the more that I accomplished, the more that I could do, the more that people just accoladed me and loved me and you know wanted to be near me and talked about how great I was. Like all of those things, and at the same time, we're newlyweds who now have a baby who've bought a home, Ooh. all within about four years. I was in a place I'd never been before. And you were in your 20s. It was in my 20s. Yeah. And so I felt really bad at it. I felt like I was, like every time I went, all I could see was all of the ways that I was inadequate at being Margie's husband and being, at that time, was just Gibson, Gibson's dad. And all of those things. And so then there was this pull to be at work more. Right. right? Because as much as I was screwing that other up, I wanted to be where I didn't feel that. Right. I really think that's going to resonate with people. They're not going to necessarily have gone to nursing school, right? But this idea of being really good in one part of your life, so you kind of can ignore terrible. the part that you feel like right. you're not good at. And I I started working part-time, pastoring part-time, because it was something that I was good at and I could do it. And it helped us. Um, I, I mean, I went cheap in the call, but it also helped us make sure that Marge, our goal, one of our goals was Margie to be able to stay home when the babies were still babies. And so... It let, let sure. us do that, right? It brought us in the second income to let us do that. Right. And about the time that the church said, hey, do you want to go full time? Was about the time that I distinctly remember it was a sunny day. And I remember like I'd forgot my sunglasses and I walk in the house and i late from work again. And the sun is glaring in my eyes because our front porch kind of faced where the sun was going down. Sure. And I walk in and there are my suitcases. And I said, what's this? And my wife said, if you want to live at Northwest Medical Center, you should take your shit and move there. 
And I remember thinking, okay, you you don't want to live in Northwest right. Medical oh, Center. Oh, wait, you don't want to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> and that was really this moment of like, something's got to change. Yeah. And about that same time, there was some situations that happened at work and I really got put between picking my work and my family. And I went to my boss and said, listen, I've had to do this a couple of times and 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 the next time I will pick the right one. Like, I won't pick you. Like, you need to know that. Right. And she said, well, that's what we do here. I haven't had family with, dinner with my family in five years. And, and we miss holidays and we take call and we do those things. And you just need to get you and your family wrapped around the idea and comfortable with the idea that you're, this is just who you are. And I said, and I remember, in my world, we would say the Holy Spirit Mm-hmm. In your world, those may not be the words you use, but I'm going to use my words. Sure, of course. I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, is that what you want? Because I can offer you something different. Right. And I went, yes, please. Yeah. And I got up from there with this huge sense of peace. We went full-time with the church. And um, I told my, I told the district superintendent we're going. And that day, she said, okay. You need to give notice at your job because you're moving in June. And she goes, I know you. They're going to need to hire like four people to fill your spot. So you're going to need to <laughs> right, give notice. Because you've been overworking. Right. Yeah. They did too. But. And it was three, but who's counting? <laughs> you. And <laughs> they, um, I, she said, you need to put your home on the market. And so we did in March. And people would go, so where are you going? And we would say, we don't know yet. Don't know. And our families thought we were nuts. Like, they didn't get that. They didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Like, how could you just... But for us, it was so freeing. Because it felt like we were just letting go of all of those things. Right. Right. Yeah, and you get to the point where... And I think we all get there at some point in our lives, right? Years happen to be in your 20s. But this idea of my job isn't what defines me. Like, my person, who I am in the world, is what defines me. How I interact with my family, how I love others, how like, and that matters. And for me, like thank the Lord that it happened in my twenties because I watched people that it didn't happen for them in their twenties. And it's, and like I, as their pastor, I get to see that happen for people when they retire. Right. Right. And they're like, I've retired. I don't know who I am anymore. And I'm like, Oh, thank you that that's not going to be me. Right. Right. Cause like, like I'm more, than this. Like, right. I am Pastor Paul, but I'm more than Pastor Paul. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we don't do that very well, I think, in our in our American society, mm-hmm. in our community. In well, our when you meet somebody, what's the first thing you ask them? You ask, what do you what do, do, you do? Not, who are you? Right. right. What do you do? Yeah. So we associate your job with your worth. Well, and I'm it's gonna, reinforced everywhere. And by the way, I'm going to be really honest. In healthcare, we're super good at that. Like... <laughs> We'll even like segment it out. I, I, I imagine teachers are like this too, right? Like there are stereotypes of like ortho nurses and stereotypical ER nurses and right. stereotypical surgery nurses, right? And yes. so like we will take, we will read a lot just based in what you tell me you do for a living. Like I'll make all kinds of assumptions about yes. you. I see that um, with elementary teachers versus maybe a content area middle school person versus a high school person. Yeah, absolutely. We we make assumptions because we as humans are kind of wired to categorize, identify like safe, not safe. Because right, I've like, got to do that in a hurry in my brain. Absolutely. So that I know whether or not I want to like draw you closer or push you away. Right, right. So we do that, but we make those assumptions. And so to say that nurses should be female or to say that elementary teachers are sweet and nurturing those are stereotypes and while they are I had something that broke that by the way uh, but, well, but yeah. you know what I'm saying, <laughs> while they can overarchingly be true they're not true for every single person nor right. should they be because right. each of us is an individual and that idea like I, I wish that my student teachers my future teachers would get this in their 20s as well, right? You're bigger than your job. Your, right. your job could be your passion, and that's wonderful, and you want to serve, and you want to teach children, yay. And that is a part of who you are. And, the, and honestly, like, I'm a better pastor because I'm a more authentic Paul. Yeah. Right? And it takes vulnerability yes. to, to speak about that, to live that, to really acknowledge it in my, your own mind. My journey to to dis- to like meet myself on some level to be sound all like new age about it, 
But my journey to like meet me, right, that took me through like the depths of my own depression and to like deal with some suicidal stuff that I've been carrying around and like all of that stuff, like my journey to like meet me has made me a better pastor because I can stand in the pulpit and say, listen, I know that there are people in this room whose hardest two steps they take are when they get out of bed and say, I'm going to do this again. And I know that because I've been that person. And some days I still am that person. And I know that there's courage and strength that comes from somewhere else that will help you take those steps. And then the next two after that. And if, if I hadn't done all of that, I wouldn't, I would lose an element of connect. Like, Sure. It makes me more successful because I'm not only that. Right. You can authentically be you, right. which comes warts and all, right? right. Being a human. Right. But then because you've had those experiences, which were arguably negative in the moment, you can turn that into something that becomes a blessing. Then you have a perception. You have an awareness of others who might be in that same space. And the best teachers I ever met were authentically just them. Yes. In the classroom. If they were into something nerdy, their classroom was decorated into that nerdy thing. Our lessons were about that nerdy thing. And, and as a student, you fed off of their passion about right. the topic, right? Yes. And, and so, hopefully they fostered your passions, like your right. willingness to go explore yours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The best, the best expression you're ever going to be in your career is to find your authentic, to find you. Yes. Not to create a version of you that's Pinterest perfect. Right. But to be authentically you. Because if we can, and I talk to my students about this all the time, like one of the things you're going to need to be able to develop is the ability to offer grace. Grace for when kids mess up, grace for when you mess up, Mm. grace for when a lesson doesn't go as planned, grace for when there's a tornado drill and you weren't prepared for that, grace for life being life. Life is messy. Right. The best definition we ever have of grace, everybody equates grace as like forgiveness, right? It's bigger than that. Yeah. Grace is putting your love into action. Yes. Right. And so it's a verb. Right. So when we want to like, when we want to extend grace to someone else, like, I don't know, let's say a spouse that's across the kitchen and maybe like irritated. Right. (laughs) Let's just say. Just hypothetically, neither of us would know what that feels like. Not that that happened like this morning at my house, but let's just say, right. The best thing I can do is like, look at them, be reminded of my love for them and then respond out of that love. Yeah. Right. I mean, my favorite, and I get this isn't a biblical podcast, my, my favorite passage, one of my favorite passages of scripture is like when this rich young ruler punk comes up to Jesus and thinks he knows all the answers and wants Jesus to look at him and go, yes, you've got it all right. You're so good. And it becomes really clear that he doesn't, right? Right. And in Mark, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him and then Jesus speaks. Mm-hmm. And I just think to myself like, and uh, by the way, I'm, I'm horrible at this. <laughs> But how different the world would be, like in this divisive culture that we're in where everybody's angry and we're fighting or whatever, if we looked at each other and loved and then responded, mm-hmm. right? That changes the way, it changes tone. It may not even change what we're saying, right? I can lovingly look at you and say, I think you've lost your mind. My grandmother right. said, bless your heart 400 times a day. That's lovingly saying, I think you've lost and your mind. And being Southern enough, I can say bless your heart to me in 15 different things. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> and so like you can do that, mm-hmm. but to look, mm-hmm. to love, then respond. Right. And I know that your frame of reference is going to be biblical because you are Pastor Paul, like mm-hmm. this is where you live. But um, those same truths live whether you have a religious perspective or not. So in my world, in the education world, we talk about practice the pause. Pause before responding. Pause to really think about the other person's perspective. Just pause so that you can respond rather than react. Right. It's the same concept. It's universal human truth. Absolutely, absolutely, because that's the value of it. Rarely is the first thing bouncing around in my head to come out of my mouth the best response to a situation. (laughs) Usually it's the funniest. Usually it's the most entertaining. Rarely is it the best. Or the kindest. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I spend a lot of time, I feel like I should just do like a little mini neuro, like this is how the brain works in my education classes, because I, I spend a lot of time talking about emotional response, amygdala response, lizard brain, whatever you want to You do the hand it. brain, right? I do the hand brain, absolutely. I love the hand brain. Yeah, love the hand brain. Um, but we talk about how that prefrontal cortex takes a little longer, because it's, you know, it's a better system, and it takes a little longer to get started, so you've got to give it time. You've got to take that pause. Right. And as the as a dad 
who with a kid who is on the spectrum, right? And who struggles uh-huh. sometimes uh-huh. with like flying off the handle. Uh-huh. The hand brain's really important. Yes. So like I've gotten to where instinctually now, as crazy as this sounds, and as much as this would not be the answer that you would want to give people, I now when I when I get tense and with him especially, I ball up my hand and I make a hand brain in my sure, right hand. Because you're reminding Because in my hand I'm like, okay, I need to remember, like, this is where he is. <laughs> I'm asking him to be up here. Right. Right. That's not going to work. Right. And then also I use that with my student age group because my students tend to be late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And we know from science that the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until like 25, right? And or so, 45, or depending 45, on whether or not you're you know, Walmart. Yes. Depending on, it's definitely not 18, right? (laughs) And so when I think about what my students do and and how they make choices sometimes, I I have to remember that. So I I talk to them about, we we do the handbrain and we do the fold over. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you guys are here and we need to fold over to show that there's a prefrontal cortex. My, um, some of my family members were talking about their kids. So one of them has 20 somethings just graduated from college. And some of them like have teenagers that are just starting their last year of high school and so they were comparing and they, they have a little saying they're like remember that darn prefrontal cortex like it's not there yet it's not fully formed because you've got to stop and think like it'll get there but so this idea of in all of our interactions even in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s to engage that requires the pause to stop and think yeah mm-hmm. yeah I know it's kind of fun yeah and and to remember that like People's perspective is their reality. Yes. Right? And so, um, it, I remember I remember having this revelation one time driving around in my Silverado that the people that I worked with, this was when I was at the hospital, that they weren't, um, they didn't wake up in the morning trying to figure out ways to just piss me off. True. Okay. I've had that same revelation. Like they did not set out to annoy me. Right. And what I'm learning, and I say learning because there's a difference between like knowing and knowing. And I I make a lot of hand gestures, so this is going to be a great audio format. Right. Super great for podcasts. Knowing in your brain. Knowing in your brain. Knowing in your heart. Right. Right. Most people are just doing the best they can with what they've got. Yeah. And some days... They just don't have much. Like, they just don't have the resiliency. Right. And so I remember um, being in the store one time and watching a lady flip out because they were out of butter. I mean, just having a full-on, like, yes. moment. That right? was it. That was the last right? straw. I'm Southern. We called that a moment, right? She had a moment <laughs> right there in moment. the store. Bless her heart. Right. Bless her heart. <laughs> and it was really easy for me one time to want to be judgmental of that, right? Sure. Like, lady, it's butter. But I don't, I don't know what else happened that day that got her to the point where, like, because yeah. in hindsight, that was about butter, but it wasn't about butter. It was not about butter. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. And so everybody comes from something and they didn't wake up to irritate you. They're doing the best they can with what they've got. And if today they just don't have the resiliency and the stuff to be more than having a meltdown about butter, then bless them because... My life's not that story, and I've never had to have a meltdown about butter. Right. Yeah, you can appreciate, you can have gratitude for, I didn't end up in that space in that moment. And I don't, like, I don't judge you because, like, it may not be butter for me. Right. 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 And you hope that when you have your moment, there will be some grace, Mm -hmm. whether it's personal to yourself or whether it's in the society around you. Yeah, we talk in schools a lot about, you know, parents send the best version of their kids that they can each day. And that looks different each day. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the kids are bathed. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they had breakfast. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they slept through the night. Sometimes they woke up with nightmares. Like, you don't know what happened before they came to school, so you can't really make judgment. Like, you can't be mad at that parent. So we talk a lot about that idea of people are giving their best in that moment. So we always equate it back to school things, but it's life things. Like yeah. when you interact with anyone. It reminded me. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. Yeah, of course. So I know. Yeah. I, yeah. It's my thing. <laughs> I, I, I got invited to sit with a family one time. And when I pulled up to their house, I remember thinking, how do you live here? Mm. Right. I don't just mean like the yard hadn't been mowed. I mean, 
because I get really judgmental if you don't mow your garden. But I mean, like it was, it was rough. Yeah. And we're talking, and I, the whole time I'm thinking, like I've got to get you all out of this living situation. Like that's that's the place that that's I where you from, are, right? Yeah. Like you guys can't live like like I've got to get you out of here. And in that moment, the gentleman looks at me and says. I did something not too long ago that I was super proud of. Can I tell you about it? And I said, sure. And he goes, I bought my wife a new mop. And I thought, dude, she's sitting right here. Like, I don't think you should tell her. You know, like, <laughs> it's not a good Christmas gift. Like, at my house, you get hit with it. You buy that right, for Christmas, right? right? Like, it's not, not good. Work. Yeah, in some cultures, yeah. And I, I did the pause thing. Yes. And I said, tell me more about that. And he said, we had dirt floors growing up. My mother never owned a mop. And I thought, okay, the place I would never live in, like, this is your palace. Right. Because there's linoleum here. Right. It's not a dirt floor. It's not a dirt floor. Yeah. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. Right. And every other people might be really, really happy in where they are. Right. That's wonderful for them. And how incredibly pretentious of me to roll in and think i got to get you out of this, right? Like, right, right. No. Yeah. I mean, so, would it be great to move them up and to get them into, like, what I would call, like, a good starter home? Of course it would. Yeah. Of course it would. But yeah, he's happy he bought his wife a mop. Right. Yeah, and that's the key. Pausing long enough to see the situation from the other person's view, mm-hmm. that's where the magic happens, right? Yeah. So we talk about that perspective taking and we talk about that ways of helping. I had this conversation yesterday with my hairdresser because she's like, I don't understand. Like, I want to help. I was like, well, talk to me about help. Like, what do you mean by help? And so she was explaining that she had a client who was doing serving at Loaves and Fishes, and um, which is in Colombia. It's the free meals, right? Mm-hmm. So they... This particular client of hers works at a bank, and his bank, they once a month go and they serve. And so he was there serving green beans, and this man came up and was like, green beans again? And the the man serving was upset by that and was offended by that. He's like, I bought this food, took my time, and providing for you what I think you need, and like was upset, like was his feelings were hurt. And so she and I talked about, like, well, let's think about the other guy's perspective. She was, well, maybe, like, they had green beans every single day. Maybe that's all people bring. And so then maybe he doesn't even know that that food costs money. I've worked with students in the schools who didn't know that people had to buy food because in their home that didn't happen, right? They were on assistance. Mom had this magic card. She took the card to the store. Food just happened. They didn't know that there was money associated with it. So, like, that perspective-taking, like, I want to help. Do I want to help you get what you need, or do I want to help you be more like me? Well, see, and then to flip that, right? I want to help. Okay, well, ma'am, like, you just provide a safe place for this gentleman to come and vent his frustration. Like, yeah, that's helping. Right. Like. Yeah, so she helped her client. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's it's little things. You don't know necessarily what it is you're doing that's ultimately going to be helpful for that person. But if your intention is there. My mentor says that our goal should always be the most be, to be the most peace-filled person in the room. Oh, I like that. So you walk into any room you are and you think to yourself, how can I, or pray, you know, whatever. How can I be the most peace-filled peace person in this space? Not... To go back to what you were talking about, like being successful and being competitive, not in a competitive sense. Right. But I am more peaceful than you. Although, occasionally. <laughs> but <laughs> None no. of us are perfect. Right. But no, so not in the sense of better than you, but in the sense of better than who I was when I walked in. Right. And lowering the temperature in that space. Yes. There's some value in that. It's, those are like the hidden jewels that exist in our world. Yeah. I like it. Okay, so we do tangent, you and I, which is kind of why I love yeah, these and, conversations. Yeah, this is random. I don't think anybody's going to get anything out of that, but that's fine. I was rambling I, for, for <laughs> however many minutes You know, was. I walk into these conversations with only the expectation that I want to learn more about you. Yeah. And because I find them fascinating, and it has been so 
wonderful. Like it is a true blessing in my life that people reach out to me and say, I listened to this episode and I connected with their story or I listened to this and had no idea that somebody else felt the same way. So you never know. Hopefully they'll tell us. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. Okay. So when we think about though, your journey, your Mm -hmm. educational journey, your life journey, you've gone from you should never go to school to collecting diplomas like it's your job to you're now in an MBA program, right. which is a master's of business administration. Right. It's a little outside the education world. So that's like money-based stuff. That's like running a business, knowing how to do accounting. Talk I mean, to me about that. Well, I'm emphasizing in nonprofits. So in nonprofits, and right. that matters. It does, because when you go to pastor school, they teach you how to write a really good paper and a really good sermon, but they don't teach you how to run the business side of the church. And there's yeah. a business side of the church, right? There's the uh-huh. budgets and the finances and the how do we keep this thing going for another generation so that we can continue to stand on this corner and help people find hope again. Sure. Right? And right. so... Um, the longevity of it. Right. And the project management piece and how do we advance, like how do we move the ball down the field, right? Because right. it's not all just holding the hands of the dying as much as that's really what we want to be doing. <laughs> yeah. um, and so this, um, especially in today's world, because we're past the like heyday of the denominational church where we can just open the door and people just show up. Like we have to be more intentional about showing up in people's lives because right. they're not just going to like show up. And like the only, the only place people are dying to get into is a funeral home. So you've got to try and like <laughs> Literally. create a space that people want to be. And that goes back to how we interact has changed generationally. Exactly. So you can't just open the doors and expect people to show up because our current 30 and unders don't interact in that inter- that person-to-person And the way. biggest shift that we've seen is, is we really want to lump millennials and Gen Zers. Everyone wants to lump them together and call them the young people. They're, they're not. Like, I am not a Gen Zer. I don't always understand the way Gen Zs think. I'm a millennial. I will reject your reality and substitute my own. That's what we do. <laughs> and so, like, that's just how we work, right? Well, and I'm Gen X. Lord so I'm you. like, you people have just You're ignored the forgotten us forever, generation. Right? Like, we know that you forget who we are. Right. But we've taken care of everything on our own. And we see your generation as, like, the young folks. Right. And then there's these others that I just, I can't wrap my head around. Even though they're the ones I teach. Right. right. Like, I'm I remember the day that I, I realized that there were kids graduating high school that didn't remember until September 11th. And I went, how is that possible? Right. Because right? it's a formative event in my In your life. Absolutely. My life. My growth. Yeah. Thing. Okay. So challenge your explosion. For me. I was born after that. Yeah, no, I know. But the same kind of concept. Right, right? Like, exactly. I remember we watched it. They rolled the TV in. Yeah. Because they were on carts back then, you know. And so we rolled the TV in and watched this shuttle explode with teachers on it. There were only two events that they, they rolled the TV in to watch. Uh, let us watch the news during school all day. Do you know what they were? O.J. Simpson. They let you watch that? We watched the whole thing. <laughs> and the Challenger Explosion. We called a full assembly for the... They, they, like, no, there not was, the Challenger because you weren't born. Or not Challenger, September 11th. Okay. We watch that all day long. That's, those are formative, right? For the different I, generations. We divide time based on By those. those. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you're right. Chet, well, September 11th was 21 years ago. Right. Right. So there is an entire generation of humans. Kids born after that are buying booze now. Wrap your head around that. <laughs> yeah. So. I have shoes older than those kids. <laughs> but going on. <laughs> so. You know, I'm getting this MBA in order to go clear back to that original question. Yes. Um, in order to help me understand the, um, like the business side and the functionality of yeah. the church. And to realize that it, there's an administrative side of what I do that I just wasn't super great at. Yeah. And, or maybe even aware of. Right. And so it's really been incredibly helpful. Um, and, and I'm enjoying it and now I'm picking the next thing. Right. So like I'm considering whether I go get a counseling thing or a PhD or whatever. Right. Like I'm just, I'm just playing with all kinds of things, but I will, I will probably, my wife says I'll be in school for the rest of my life. Sure. And you because at this point, like, why not? Why not? We, you and I joke about collecting diplomas, right? Because we both have our fair share. But the idea really is lifelong learning and Mm -hmm. continuing to grow as a person and using those things to create a better version of you and your impact in the world. Absolutely. Well, because through my MBA work now, I actually sit on a couple of different community boards outside the church, and I'm able to then help them be better and advance and bring a level of of understanding. Um, It's really interesting when 
preacher starts talking business with the business people, that, that throws them off really. I'm sure. Like it's, it lets it, but I can do it from a place of grace that business people don't always understand. Right. Right. And so right. It, it, it's really this lovely, beautiful blend of how do we do all of the above. Right. And I'm always in my mind connecting this back to my future teachers. As you should be. These are my people. These are the ones that I want to be successful and go out and do amazing things. And we spend so much time teaching them how to teach, but we have to remember that we're teaching them how to teach humans. And that changes, right? So the technology that we use, the way that we interact with kids, the songs that we're going to get the kids' attention. And and more foundational than that, if I can just throw this out there, is teaching them to be human. Oh, yes. That to be vulnerable enough to allow their right. human to show. Because they can't hand those kids something they don't have. Exactly. We talk about you can't pour from an empty cup, which sounds a little trite in my mind, but you genuinely can't offer something you don't own. Right. If I looked at you right now and said, I want a Snickers, <clears throat> you'd be in trouble because you don't have a Snickers, I'm assuming. If you have one, that's impressive. <laughs> but, I will never tell if I have a secret candy stash. <laughs> because but, yeah. you can't hand me something you don't have. Exactly. And it's also, I think... The important other side of that in our community, in our society, is not to just immediately blame you or think of you as less than if you don't have it in that moment. But to go, oh, you're right, I don't have that, so I can work on developing that skill or I can work on myself. Like That's that continuous improvement thing that we talk about Mm -hmm. all the time. But I don't think we ever step back and go, but that's a me thing too. That's a personal growth thing. So, yeah, I think that's an important part of what we do. And... Talking about that, making it open, being vulnerable about it. Like, no one's perfect, but we're all continuing to get better. Well, if, like, in our language, like in the church world, what we would say is everybody's broken. Sure. Like, you know, from the beginning, we've all been broken. Right. And, and that's okay. Like, it's okay. It's okay to not yeah. be all right. And we were created for community. Mm-hmm. Like, from the very beginning, one of some of the first words that the Lord speaks is, it's not good for man to be alone. Like, it's not good for us to be alone. Right. Like, Lone Ranger isn't even the Lone Ranger. Like He had a horse and a sidekick. He had a horse and a sidekick, right? (laughs) Exactly. We're really bad at this lone thing. And so we're called to be in community. Yeah. Because in the areas where I fall down, you can stand up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So in the non-church world, in the education world, we talk about, you know, I always say to my students and those who listen are going to laugh, and I'm like, you guys, we work with people, and people are messy. So like, I can teach you, here's how you teach a child to read. Like, I can give you the steps, but you're not going to be able just to go and plunk it down on top of a kid, because you're working with a human. Like, people are messy. Hi. When I made the shift from a science degree to a theology degree, mm-hmm. I really struggled that first semester. I did. Because science is right and wrong. It either is or it isn't. Right. Right? In right. a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, right? Uh-huh. You either made the bed correctly or the instructor is going to punch you in the face, right? Like, those are the two options. <laughs> I really hope not, but yeah. Well, uh, some yeah. of those old school nursing instructors were pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Theology is about people right. and God and the interaction of those things. And it's gooey. Of course, it's gooey. And it's messy, and it's bleh, because because it's not a hospital. Hospitals are meant to be sterile and controlled because they're full of sick people who, if we can control things, then we can right. make them better. Right. The real world isn't that way because it's 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 got people in it. Yeah, right, and people are messy. And people are messy, right. and then, yeah. and the more that I can approach that from a place of, like, I don't have to clean you up, Mm-hmm. I can just sit here and be present with you yeah, and and love the mess that is you. There's such power in just connecting to a person, being present with them, like actually seeing them, actually hearing them. That's magical. Most people just want to be seen and heard. Yeah, but most people don't know how to do it for others. Right. I mean, the, the real ministry that we read about in the New Testament is Jesus who walked around and looked at people who everybody else was stepping over. Yeah, and I think that that's another parallel between your career path mm-hmm. and mine. Right. Is that we all the, see the people everybody's stepping over. Right, we're the ones that are seeing those people. We're the ones that are working with those people. So public schools have that. We are tasked with that. We are federally required by law. We are mandated to do that. And 
and think about this. Don't ever lose sight of this. Like if I can say anything to the people who are listening to this, don't lose sight of this, right? The importance of the fact that you know those people's name. Yeah. Right? So the people who felt, who feel unseen, they feel unheard and they feel stepped over by society as teachers, you know their name Mm -hmm. and And you get to look them in the eye and you get to love them first and then speak. Did bring this all like full circle. Yeah, right? no, that's beautiful. And that's, I don't know a human who doesn't have a favorite teacher story. Right. Right. And it's not because the way they taught me trigonometry blew my mind. Right. It's because they saw me, they cared about me. They were silly. They wore these fun outfits. They read to us. They remembered my birthday, whatever. It's like that human connection piece right. of it. So, which is a beautiful segue into my final three questions. Hit me. I know you are so good at this. Um, so first question, what or who inspires you? Who? I hope one day to be the man my kids think I am. I like it. Clearly your kids inspire you. I'm sorry. That made me cry a little bit. You're good. I am glad that made you cry a little bit because you're a human and you're messy. And the fact that my mascara is going to run soon won't be weird now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I hope to one day be the the man my kids think I am. Yeah. I love that. That is a perfect answer. I'm going to step aside from it so that I don't cry and we can finish this. Yeah. Um, Second question worded slightly differently on purpose. Who's an educator who influenced you? Mm -hmm. I say influenced because some people are like super positive, amazing. Woohoo. This is a teacher who changed my life. Some people have a non-example. Right. Like a person who went, ugh, maybe that person who talked to your mom like, right. would be a non-example, right? So She would be a great non-example. But I've actually thought about this question, and as a millennial, I'm going to reject your reality and substitute my own, and I'm going to give you it. two names. Love it. So the first name that come, came to mind for me was, her name is Patricia Dotson. Patricia Dotson. And she's a retired first grade teacher, and she taught me to read. Oh, yay. And I struggled a little bit to read early on, and she taught me to read. And because she taught me to read... I now have a master's degree, right? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a direct connection between those two things. Right. Talk about lifelong impact. Right. Bigger than teaching me to read. When that teacher that told my mother that I would never make it, when Mrs. Dotson found out that I was failing the fifth grade, Mrs. Dotson stayed after school and sat with me in her first grade classroom and helped me do my homework and kept me motivated and gave me skills that I still use today to complete tasks. She changed my world. And I have on more than one occasion dropped her a Facebook message and told her so. Okay, good. That was my next follow-up. Yeah. Like, have you told her? Yes. The other teacher that I would tell you is, is, so I am what they now would call twice accepted or whatever. I probably should have had an IEP, but I didn't because I was also in the gifted program. And my the school I went to told my mother that you can't have both. That was very common. I had a similar experience. So um, for those who missed it, that's called twice exceptional. Yeah. Where you can be exceptional in that you have a disability, but also exceptional in that you are gifted and talented. Right. So you can have both. And so my gifted instructor, um, Jan Potier, um, sat with me and she taught me how to love to learn. We did the coolest projects ever in that classroom. We turned her classroom into a whale and we gave tours. We turned the we did a human body thing where we pretended to shrink kids and send them into a body. We turned the whole doorway into a mouth. Um, it was very magic school bus. Yes. Um, That's we, exactly what I went to. Right. Yeah. We did the whole thing. Like she taught me to love to learn. And then when I moved to high school, she actually became the librarian. And she then would like feed me books that she knew I would enjoy. Like and um, I still keep up with both of those ladies. Like they, they really, really embodied what it is to show love to a student that some people really just wanted to wash their hands off. Yeah. Yeah, those are great answers. And I'm so glad that you've connected with them because that was going to be my next, like, you've got to let them know. But that's the part that I wish we all did better. Right. I remember be, working at McDonald's when I was 16. I'm sorry, Wendy's. Don't sue me. <laughs> and they sh- uh, there was a gentleman who came in who couldn't read and I was still in high school and I walked down to her classroom the next day and said I want you to know like that'll never be me because of you because of you yeah yeah oh that's good I like that I need that right now as we're getting ready for another school year too so I yep. appreciate that that changed um, all right. Third and final question, two-parter. Because we are lifelong learners and because everybody is on a continual path of growth and learning, part of that is books. You've mentioned you're a reader. I am. Why are you reading both professionally and personally? 
Because you are more than your job. The Bible. No, I'm kidding. Um, I am, <laughs> well, but that's, that's that. the give me answer. Um, <laughs> Obviously. So I'm reading a book right now that I would recommend for everyone and not just like it's it's a Christian oriented book, but even if you're not a person of faith, like you could get like you could overlook some of that probably and like dig into just the visioning piece of it. And it's called Dream Like Jesus. Dream Like Jesus. Okay. And it's um, it's all this. I'm a visioning type individual, and I love the idea of dreaming big dreams and mm-hmm. big, crazy, audacious. Why can't we do this kind of stuff? Right. So that one's been really fun. Okay. I'm reading it with a group of other pastors, so when we talk about it, it's been good. Mm-hmm. Um, for fun, fun, I read spy novels. Spy novels. Like that's how I unwind of a night as okay. I go hunt terrorists. Like it's a thing. Okay. So um, I. Um, I have caught the author of the Mitch Rapp series, so I'm now waiting on the new one to come out next month. But in between times, I'm just reading a Grisham novel that I've read a hundred times. Okay. Those are good answers. So, I like it. Fun. Spy novels are my thing. Spy novels. Yeah, I, I would have guessed um, more like superhero stories, like Marvel comic-y kind of stories. It's fine line. Fine line. Okay. Well, think about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Fine line between James Bond... And a superhero. That's true. Right? That's true. One has martinis. One wears a cape. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Big fan of the martini. I can't help it. Right? That's hysterical. Okay. <laughs> well, this has been fun. I appreciate you. I will get the actual names of books from you so we can put them in the links for people. Yeah. Um, but thanks for spending some time with me. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a joy. Um, thanks for letting me ramble into a microphone for a little bit. Of course. Always. <laughs> You can't hand somebody something you don't have. As I'm wrapped up in the stress of the start of the school year, this episode with Paul Kleps has been a breath of fresh air and a moment of calm. I hope you found it as helpful as I did. If you know me, you know I'm a gratitude enthusiast. In this moment, I'm grateful to Paul for sharing his time and story. I'm grateful to Jason Gorin for editing this podcast, and I am grateful to you, our listener, for joining us. I appreciate you. Please take a moment to subscribe or follow and leave a five-star rating and a review for our happy little podcast with topics and or guests you'd like to hear in future episodes. I look forward to our next opportunity to think aloud together. Until then, stay curious. Stay curious.